The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. Today we look at what the Bible has to say about race, ethnicity. Well, why are we even dealing with that, you might ask? Well, let's see. Let me look around. Hmm. This doesn't look like a strictly homogeneous congregation to me. We have... Asian people, well, that's too general. We have Chinese people. We have Indian people. We have Japanese people. We have, I would imagine, French people and German people, I suppose. And then there's people like me, just a mutt and a mix of a whole bunch of races. I don't know what mine is, but I'm white on the outside. Um, So we've got an eclectic mix of people among us from different races and ethnicities and skin colors and cultures and backgrounds and upbringing and nations that our origin, uh, all mixed up into one pot, trying to sit together and get along and like each other. That is a challenge on a human level, isn't it? And because of sin and Satan, it's actually impossible to have unity in that light apart from Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, and the truth of God. This is such an important issue. Race. Race uh, and prejudice over race, division and fighting over race and ethnicity has been a perennial problem of humanity since the first sin of Adam and Eve, or the fall, since the curse of God at that time, uh, since the Tower of Babel where God did another judgment separating the races. And humanity has been suffering with racial prejudice for at least 6,000 years as a result. And well-meaning politicians and well-meaning peacemakers and philanthropists are always trying to preach, why can't we all just get along? Can't we all just get along, is the refrain. Well, the answer is no. Apart from Jesus Christ, His truth, the Word of God, the Gospel, the Bible, Scripture, Christianity, true Christianity, the answer is no, we cannot get along. We won't. And I've been studying this topic all week long, thinking about it, meditating on the Scriptures, and so maybe it's just because that was on my mind. I can't believe how many bumper stickers I noticed this week coexist. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. It says coexist, and it's... Uh, the letters and the shapes of representing all the various religions around the world from uh, Islam to Christianity. And the idea is we're all supposed to just get along and hold hands and sing Kumbaya and be friends. And that's just not reality. It's a desire of many people and the human heart, but it's not reality apart from God and his truth in light of sin and the curse and the sinfulness of humanity. So the Bible addresses this issue all over the place. The Bible is definitive. It is clear. It's actually very basic, and so what I wanted to do is help inform our Christian worldview regarding race and how God views the peoples of humanity. But I want to ask you first some thought-provoking questions. What is your attitude about race, or other races in particular? You answer that in your own mind. Currently, what is your attitude towards people of other race? Uh, with that, what kind of home were you raised in? What was the attitude of your parents or your upbringing about race? I did not grow up in a Bible-believing Christian home, so I lived in a certain isolated culture. It was actually very prejudiced uh, towards those that were not like ourselves. So I was raised in a culture that was prejudiced towards those who were non-white people in my culture. People I hung around, my descendants, didn't have a biblical understanding, was totally naive. So that's pretty common for people who don't know Scripture. Another question, are you prejudiced? Are you racially prejudiced towards other people? Does skin color matter to you? Uh, Do you ever make racial slurs? 
Many times we do it as a joke or some lousy driver cuts you off. They happen to be of a different skin color than you, and that's why they cut you off. It's because of their skin color. I'm like, no. That had nothing to do with their skin color. It's because they're a lousy driver or you're a lousy driver or one of the two. So that's really a superficial assessment, but we do that. Or I, I never got this one where somebody makes an excuse for their really bad temper. Well, I'm German. Well, I've heard Germans say that. Well, I'm Italian. Well, I'm Latin. Well, I'm Spanish. Well, I'm Mexican. Well, I'm, and, well your temper has nothing to do with the color of your skin. We're going to find out it all, according to the Bible, always comes back to the human heart. So racial prejudice, huge issue. It's very practical to deal with in our church. Uh, it needs to be dealt with in our church. As I said, we have, we have a mix of races among us, and we have to get along, right? And we can't have an impediment at a superficial level regarding race. Um, I counsel and have been counseling as a, a pastor, people, and the race issue comes up routinely, annually, has for 15 years that I could think of specific examples about race, especially when two people that want to get married and they're of different races. And they're both Christians. And inevitably, uh, family members struggle with that issue. And we have to think, well, what does the Bible say? Not what does culture say or our preferences, but what did God really say about uh, races and Interracial uh, marriages, the Bible has a lot to say about that. And like I said, I grew up in a very uh, cultural, um, man-centered view of race and marriage and intermarriage. And I came from a large family. And I remember this really became a divisive matter at our, in our family because I was the youngest of ten kids. When one of my older siblings, who we were all white, my parents were white, and one of the older siblings broke protocol or precedent and started dating a Mexican person. And whoa, we heard about that one. That's just dating. And then uh, one of my siblings ended up marrying a Japanese person. And that was a major problem in our family. And then uh, one of my siblings married a black person. And that was a major problem in our family. And um, at least it wasn't for me because I just I didn't have the cultural racial bias. As a matter of fact, I was thinking about the first crush I had on a girl while I was in first grade and I had a crush on my older sister's best friend, Diana Costayanu, who was like 15 years older than me. And she was a Mexican. And I was in love with her. And I was only seven. But anyway. Point being, I didn't have the racial problem, fortunately. But I didn't. it wasn't because I had a biblical point of view. That came later. So it's very practical. And uh, we need to look to see what the Bible has to say about this issue. So let's go ahead and do it tonight. Again, just there's so much information in Scripture. Just tried to consolidate it down to a few basic points. I came up with seven here. Nothing spiritual about seven points, but tried to highlight the most important things Scripture has to say. Developing, cultivating a worldview about humanity, about race, about ethnicity. Uh, so let's go ahead and look at it. Point number one, and that is that all humans, and this is really the foundation, all humans, every single human being came from Adam and Eve and Noah's family. Every single human being. All humans came from Adam and Eve and Noah's family. So if you're into tracing your genealogy and your ethnicity, you know, if you go back four or five generations, you didn't go back far enough, go back all the way to Genesis chapter 1 and you end up with Adam and Eve and we all end in the same place. Our, we all share the same descent from Adam and Eve. They were our original uh, parents. Adam and Eve were literal. Genesis 1 through 3 is literal. It is historical. 
Jesus affirms that, Paul affirms that, and you've got to start there. That needs to be the foundation of how you view race and humanity. Uh, I also want to read from Acts 17 because this is the Apostle Paul's commentary on Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. The Apostle Paul, who in Acts 17, he's talking to non-Jewish people, Greeks, Gentiles, probably Gentiles, non-Jewish people of all kinds of different ethnicities, who knows, maybe different colors. And he gives them a historical lesson from the book of Genesis, and he's telling them where all of humanity came from in Acts 17, as he's also leading up to the very specific gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, So in Acts 17, verse 26, the Apostle Paul, even though he doesn't say, quote, Genesis, because they didn't necessarily have the Hebrew Scriptures, he's still giving them biblical truth from Genesis. Uh, He talks about the true God is the Creator in verse 24, the God who made the world and all things in it. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands like you guys think He does. Verse 25, neither is this true God served by human hands as though He needed anything. He's totally self-sufficient since He Himself gives to all. Every human being has the same God who's the giver of life and breath in all things. Verse 26, and He, that is God, made everyone, every human. That's what it means. God made every human being every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitations. And in verse 26, and he made from one man, says another translation, which is a great translation. God made from one man, meaning from Adam and Eve. That's where every single person came from. Whether you're a Jew, Greek, Gentile, doesn't matter. We all came from the same place, Adam and Eve, and they were literal. Therefore, we are all in the same human family from God's point of view. So we all have a common ancestry. All humans came from Adam and Eve. When I've taught uh, children and youth, I like to ask the question when we address this issue of creation, I like to ask them and get their feedback first before I teach on it. What color was Adam and what color was Eve? And I get hilarious, great answers. And, you know, know, the white kid will raise his hand and say, oh, he was white and had blonde hair. Adam did. Really? Okay. Hmm, Cool. And then maybe some Mexican kid will say, no, actually, uh, Adam and Eve, they were kind of brown, nice brown tan, copper tone tan, and they actually had Dark hair and brown eyes. Oh, really? And I had black students in my classes as well. No, actually, he was African-American. Adam was. Oh, okay. And then we talk about it, and then bottom line, we ask all these kids, well, how do you know? How do you know? And so then we concluded, well, we really don't. And my theory was always, because they couldn't deny that, according to the Bible, every single human race, every ethnicity, every skin color came from Adam and Eve, literally. So maybe... Adam was kind of darker skinned and Eve was kind of lighter skinned. Like maybe Adam was really, 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 really darker black and then maybe Eve was like an albino or or reversed. Or maybe, how about this one? Adam was polka dotted and Eve was striped like a zebra. And they thought those theories were possible. Why not? We don't know. Uh, Bottom line, every human being, every race comes from Adam and Eve. Uh, Number two. Very important. Every human being is made in God's image and is therefore sacred and precious. And that's whether they're a male, whether they're a female, uh, whether they're a believer or an unbeliever. Every single human being that is born into this world and actually conceived in their mother's womb, the time that they are conceived, they are made in the image of God. Every single human being is fearfully and wonderfully made, very personally, individually, in the image of God that is absolutely sacred. 
And that gives value and dignity to every single human being, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, and regardless of your skin color, where you were born, your gender, your ethnicity, your social strata, it doesn't matter. Every human being has value and worth because they are all made in the, in the image of God. And that's what God himself said. The triune God of the universe in the beginning, Genesis 1, God, the Trinity, talking to itself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, before they created humanity. And God said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make man or humanity in our image. And the question was, what color shall we make them? It's they will be made like us. They will be made as persons with a will and a mind and religious beings and all that comes with being a person, let us make man in our image or humanity in our image according to our likeness. And that's exactly what God did. God made every single human being, starting with Adam and Eve, in the image of God, male and female. And the Scripture doesn't comment on their skin color because it didn't matter. So all human beings came from Adam and Eve, and every single one of us has been made in God's image. And as a result, every human being is sacred before God. Number three. Because every human being was made in the image of God and sacred and precious to God the Creator... God shows no partiality whatsoever, and he loves all people. God doesn't have a favorite race. Some people think, according to the Bible, that God looks down, and he, well, he favored the Jews. They're, the Jews are his favorite people. They were his beloved people in the Old Testament. They were his covenant people, and actually that's not true. I mean, it is true that they were God's covenant people, but it wasn't because he was partial towards everybody else. As a matter of fact, he told Moses and the community of the Israelites, and in Deuteronomy, he said, I set my love upon you, not because you're anything special, but because you're better than all these other races. Not at all. God set his love on the Jews simply out of his divine prerogative, his sovereign choice. That's it. Not because of their race or their ethnicity. And when he chose them to be a special people, it wasn't to be a, a cul-de-sac. It was actually to be a channel to the rest of the world so that the love of God, the gospel of God, the grace of God would reach the ends of the earth and every other race and nation on earth. That's God's plan. So clearly God doesn't show any partiality. He loves every person, every nation, every ethnicity. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, whosoever, doesn't matter, believes in Jesus Christ, shall be saved from their sins. God so loved the world. Let's look at Acts. If you've got a Bible, look at Acts chapter 10, where this shows that God is not partial. He's not racially prejudiced. Just because the Jews were chosen to be his covenant people for a time in the Old Testament doesn't mean that he didn't like non-Jewish people. He didn't think that the Gentiles or the Greeks had cooties. But he was using the Jewish people for a specific purpose to glorify himself and also to reach the ends of the world, which he eventually did through Jesus Christ, the Savior. And so he's trying to, God is trying to communicate this lesson to Peter. Peter, the apostle, he was born and raised as a Jew. He had the Old Testament. He was actually prejudiced. He had a sinful attitude that he couldn't shake. Grew up and was taught to be racially prejudiced. And it wasn't consistent with Old Testament teaching. And so he needed a corrective, and God gives it to him here in Acts chapter 10. Peter, just because you're a Jew, that didn't mean that the Gentiles have cooties. You, you got it wrong. You're mixed up. There was a plan, and you've, you've messed it up. I wasn't trying to teach you to be racially prejudiced towards non-Jews. So God actually sends this Gentile to Peter so that Peter can become friends with him and give him the gospel, and this Gentile might be saved to become a part of the spiritual family of God with Peter right alongside and Peter's got to overcome his racial prejudice. It was hard to do. Um, 
So in Acts chapter 10, we'll start. Uh, so this guy's name is Cornelius. He's a Gentile. He's a non-Jew. Uh, God comes to Cornelius and sends him to Peter. He says, go visit this guy named Simon Peter. And so he does, and he goes and knocks on Peter's door. And Peter was having a vision that God gave him. And the lesson in the vision was that, Peter, you need to love the Gentiles. You need to love non-Jewish people. And he had to give him the lesson three times, and hopefully it sunk in. And Peter's like, oh, okay, I get it. And so right when he says, I get it, he sends him a Jew to love. I mean, a non-Jew to love. This Gentile named Cornelius. And so he meets Cornelius. And then look at verse 34. And then Peter opens his mouth and he says, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality towards people, but in every nation, the man who fears him, the man, the woman, the child who fears God, does what is right, what's right to believe in the gospel, is welcome to God. So it has nothing to do with race. You don't have to be a Jew. Gentiles are welcome. What matters is your attitude towards God and your belief in the gospel. And you believe in the gospel and turn from your sin and embrace Jesus Christ as Savior. You are welcomed into the family of God. That's what Peter was saying. Beautiful. And look at verse 28. Through this vision, Peter learned an important lesson. At the end of verse 28, Peter said this, God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Isn't that great? You want to deal with your attitude of racial prejudice, you need to remember that God has shown me through Scripture that I should not call any man, any woman, any child unholy, dirty, or unclean simply based on the color of their skin. That's what God taught Peter. God shows no partiality and He loves all people. Let's go on to number four. So when you think about this issue of people being racially prejudiced based simply on skin color, it's really shallow and superficial, isn't it? Because the color of your hair, the color of your eyes, the color of your skin, it says nothing about the person. It is absolutely shallow and superficial. And that's point number four. Skin color is superficial. It is a superficial distinction. It is not real. What matters with humanity is the heart. What's on the inside, not on the outside. Uh, if you've got your Bible there, I want you to turn to First Samuel because this is such an important passage. And great lesson for us as believers and our attitude towards other people that are different than us. Sometimes we fear those who are different, don't we? So God sends Samuel to select a new king. And Samuel goes to a house where there's a whole bunch of brothers. And his, uh, he's giving a superficial assessment. He's trying to pick a king just based on what they look like on the outside, whether they're tall, dark, and handsome. And God has to rebuke him and say, no, don't look on the outside. That's shallow, that is superficial. You've got to look at the heart of a human being. That's what really matters. And so here's what God says. Uh, verse 7, 1 Samuel 16, But the Lord Yahweh said to Samuel the prophet, Do not look at his appearance. See, there it is. Do not look at the appearance. Don't look at the outside. That's shallow, superficial. That isn't what God cares about. Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have, re uh, I have rejected him, the one you wanted to... Select, for God sees not as man sees. God sees not as humans see. For human beings, we look at the outward appearance. That is our problem. That is our fault. That is our shortcoming. We look on the outside. But the Lord, God, looks at the heart. That is the issue. You want to overcome racial prejudice, that's where it starts. Your view of humanity and seeing people as God sees them. Not assessing from the outside, but looking at the heart. What matters is on the inside. And if you want to uh, give any 
conversation or distinct or uh, importance to skin color, it's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. The fact that we have a lot of different skin colors is just a testimony to the beautiful creativity and diversity of God as creator. So diversity is the testimony of God's greatness as a creator. He is the greatest artist there is in the universe. And diversity is a sign of beauty and creativity. We see that. I put some references there in Genesis chapter 1 where there are phrases there talking about the diversity and the creativity and the beauty of God's creation because he could have made everything the same in the beginning if he wanted to. God made the sky and it was ugly, dull gray. And then he made the grass and it was ugly, dull gray. And then he made the ocean and it was an ugly, dull gray. Can you imagine how ugly the world would be? But instead, God made this beautiful, diverse, creative world and universe for us, even though it's fallen. And that's also reflected in the beauty of humanity and the diversity and the creativity and all the differences are absolutely wonderful. And even on a personal level, we experience that when you those of you that got married, hopefully you married somebody that was different than you, right? You wouldn't want to marry someone exactly like you. That would be horrific. I know it would be for me. I don't want to marry me. So I'm glad for the diversity and God's creativity in all of creation. And so those phrases in Genesis chapter 1, it says where he created the animal race and after their kind. That means all kinds of variety. We know that from just the dog, the animal, the dog. You look at a secular encyclopedia under dog. And it says there are over 200 species of dogs, and we believe they all come from the same ancestor, which is true. Because God created the first two dogs, and He created them after their kind. That is diversity within the species. And that's why you've got from Chihuahuas to Great Danes and everything in between. The blessed diversity and creativity of our great God. So don't assess people on the outside. That's superficial. What matters is on the inside and the heart. So, again, when you're thinking about weaknesses that people have, you can't categorize it and say, well, that's because of their ethnicity or that color. No. Weaknesses have to do with indwelling sin, not skin color. And the same thing with strengths. Strengths have nothing to do with race, but of character of the people, right? So, it's the inside what matters, not the outside. For example, we all have red blood, don't we? Unless there's any Vulcans in here that have blue blood. From Star Trek, we all have red blood. We all have need two lungs. We all have, right? We all have a soul. We all have indwelling sin. So what matters most in defining a human being is on the inside, not the outside. So skin color is superficial. Let's go on to number five. The one true family that matters to God. By the way, if you were to divide up humanity into real categories, and people try to do that at times, from God's point of view, the world can be divided only into two categories. It's believers and unbelievers. Paul does that in Corinthians. That's it. It's those who know and love Jesus Christ and those who reject Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said that in John chapter 8. John the Apostle said it in 1 John 5 or chapter 4. You either love God or hate God. You're either of uh, God your father or your father the devil. That's it. The saints and the ain'ts. Believers and unbelievers. Those are the only two categories that matter to God. You're either in God's family or you're not in God's family. So the one true family, the one true race, the one true nation that matters to God is composed of believers. And it has nothing to do with superficial distinctions. I love this verse. Galatians 3.28. Let's look at it. I remember after I finished seminary and then I started teaching in a school and began working on my master's degree in teaching credential in English down in Southern California at a secular, huge secular university down there. 
took 10 to 12 classes down there. And it was very hostile to Christianity, just about every class I took. And one class in particular was hostile to Christianity. In the first day of class, the professor with their Ph.D. just railed uh, and condemned Christianity, Protestants, males, uh, white males that were Protestant who were Christian, by the way, and I'm sitting there, the only white Christian Protestant in the class, but anyway, <laughs> and just going on and on. And what really bothered me the most was that uh, they were condemning the Bible and saying that the Bible is a white man's book. It's a white, West, it's a white Protestant Western man's book. I'm thinking, and this person had a Ph.D. in literature that was saying all this. And uh, so I had to talk to the professor privately and say, well, no, the Bible is not a Western book. It's an ancient Near Eastern book by brown-skinned folk, not white folk, just so you know. I don't know where you got your Ph.D., but anyway, I just thought I'd tell you that. Uh, and then we had, so after she just railed all over Christianity, then we broke up into small groups. And so I'm in this small group with like seven people who now just hate Christian white men like myself. And we have to do this group project together. And we break up and there's about seven of us and they're professionals. They're all older students. They're all working on their master's degrees, teaching credentials. And I'm sitting there kind of cowering in my chair and they're just railing on Christianity and how hateful the Bible is and Christians are and prejudiced and all that stuff. And then finally I just had to speak up. And I said, have you, any of you guys read the Bible before? And they're like, oh, well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I saw it. Well, the answer was no. And I said, did you know that um, the Bible is not racially prejudiced at all? And, oh, and the other thing was that the Bible condemns and hates women and all that stuff. And I said, did you know that the Bible, more than any other piece of literature, dignifies women than any other kind of literature in the world? And they're like, really? And I said, yeah. As a matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 1. And they didn't know that. So I just quoted to them. In the beginning, God uh, said that he was going to create humanity. And God said, let us make man in our image. And in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. So in Genesis chapter 1, the first book chapter in the Bible, God gave equality to men and women equally before God as human beings made in the divine image so that... Uh, Females are just as sacred and precious to God as men are. That's what the Bible teaches. And they're like, wow, really? I said, yeah. Now let's talk about race, now that we've talked about men and women. And then I took them to Numbers chapter 12, where Tim read earlier, where it says that in Numbers 12, that Miriam and Aaron, who were Moses' older brother and sister, it says that they, didn't, they got mad at Moses. And they were judging Moses and they were gossiping about Moses and they were jealous of Moses. And one of the reasons they were mad at their younger brother was because Moses married a Cushite woman, which every Hebrew scholar I have looked up knows that he married a black woman. So you've got Moses, the Jewish guy, marrying a black woman, probably from the Cushite area of Egypt or other places where there was probably a, a black woman. And that was probably at the heart of the issue there, is this racial prejudice. A non-Jew. How dare Moses marry a non-Jew, especially this dark woman? And we saw, as we read Numbers 12, that when God heard of this jealousy that, and prejudice that Aaron and Miriam had towards Moses for his marriage, it said the Lord burned with anger because they were being sinful. They were being prejudiced towards a fellow human being and probably towards a fellow believer. And as a result... God came down in judgment on Miriam for her prejudicial, sinful attitude. And literally in Numbers 12, 
It says, okay, I mean, it's ironic the way God judges. Okay, Miriam, you like lighter skin? You don't like this dark-skinned woman from... I'll give you light skin. And he went, poof, and gave her leprosy, and she turned white as snow from leprosy because that's what leprosy was. So now she looked like snow white. Here, there. Now how do you like white color? And then that meant she had to be banished from the community immediately, according to uh, the law of Moses, and that she would probably die. Her death was imminent. And Aaron panicked and freaked out and began to plead with Moses. And he knew that they were wrong and sinful. And so he asked Moses and he pleaded and he prayed, uh, pray to God that uh, God might be merciful and heal our sister. We know what we've done is wrong. And so Moses did. He interceded on behalf of his brother and sister, asked God to forgive Miriam. God forgave Miriam and he healed her of her leprosy. And it was a, a very important lesson they learned. But I shared that with my students in that class that day and they were just blown away. They had no idea this was in the Bible. It's like, wow, cool. Moses married a black woman, and God authorized that. That's awesome. So it's very helpful for them. Um, so let's go back to number five there. Uh, the one true family, race, and nation is composed of believers. And I wanted to read Galatians 3.28. And here's what it says, that great verse. Because uh, the early church did have a problem uh, with Jews and Gentiles meeting together in the church because of their prejudicial history and hang-up. So they needed... Ongoing reminders. And Paul says, for all of you, every single believer, every Christian, for all of you were baptized into Jesus Christ and clothed with Christ. And as a result, verse 30, uh, 28, there is therefore now, there is neither Jew nor Greek. See, there it is. There's no race. There are no race distinctions that matter in the Christian family. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither uh, slave nor free. There's no social distinctions. It doesn't matter how much money you make. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. That is awesome. Great truth. All in Jesus Christ our Lord. It is faith in Christ that unites us and adopts us into the one family of God. Put another verse down there about the true one family of God, and that's in Matthew 12. I'm not going to go there to read it. I'll just summarize it for you. And I put one of the verses there. Jesus was doing ministry. He was preaching to the multitudes. People were flocking all over the place. He was in demand. It was the height of his ministry. And they came knocking on his door. And they're crying out, Okay, Jesus, uh, man, you've been out. You've been preaching. You've been with the multitudes. You've been all over the place. And your family wants you. It's your mother and your brother, your mother and your brothers and your sister. They want to talk to you. Your mother's here. Your blood. And it's an interesting response. Jesus responded and said, Oh, okay, yeah, that's my mom and my brothers. I need to let them in. He didn't say that. He actually asked a question and said, Who are my, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Who are my sisters? That must have been startling, especially if his brothers heard that. And then he went on to say, it's not blood that matters in the family of God. It's belief that matters in the family of God. Because that's what he went on to say. I'll tell you who my true mother, brother, sister, spiritual siblings are. It's not those who are related to me by blood. As a matter of fact, we know from John 7, his brothers didn't even believe in him during his public ministry. They made fun of him and mocked him. They did not believe initially. They did later, but not initially. And so that's why he says in Matthew 12, whoever does, here's who my true siblings are. Here's the true family of God. It's whoever does the will of my Father in heaven. What is the will of my Father? To believe in Jesus as Messiah. It's belief, not blood. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. That is the true family of God. And 1 Peter 2.9 says the same thing. You believers, you Christians, regardless of your skin color, you are a chosen race, chosen by God. One race, there it is. 
a multicolored race, but one race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. He owns you. We are all part of the family of God through belief in Jesus Christ. Awesome. Let's go on to number six. God condemns partiality and prejudice. He condemns racial prejudice. We already saw that with Numbers chapter 12 and how God condemned literally Aaron and Miriam for their racially prejudiced attitude towards their brother Moses. God punished Miriam with leprosy. If you got James chapter 2, I want to read that verse where God condemns partiality. Partiality of all kinds. Illegitimate prejudice. Uh, whether it's based on gender Culture, outward appearance, sociological status, race. That's really the umbrella truth that James is communicating. And he gives us specific examples. Here's a Christian congregation that's being rebuked because they were, raci- or they were prejudiced in many ways probably. Here's one way in particular. James 2.1 says this, My brethren, fellow Christians, fellow believers, do not hold your faith in Jesus Christ, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Do not be prejudiced as a church. Don't do it. Verse 2. For if a man comes into your assembly or your church with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, hey, you, sit here in a good place. And then you say to the poor man who's dirty and stinks, you stand over there out in the lobby. Sit down by the footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves? Have you not been prejudicial among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Somebody who is racially prejudiced, they have evil motives. It is evil according to God. We can't do it, church. No room for it. It doesn't reflect the character, the heart of God. God condemns partiality and prejudice. That takes us to number seven. There's only one solution for the world to coexist. And it ain't going to happen in this lifetime, but it will happen in the next lifetime Guaranteed. We know that from Revelation and other passages. But the church is the ultimate example of God's view on race because therein lies true, deep racial unity among all kinds of other unity. That's why this is a beautiful testimony. When, when we leave on Sundays out this door onto this campus, out in the city, and people that don't know God are looking on, and if they could see the makeup of our congregation, that it's diverse in race and culture and background, and yet they see this beautiful harmony and unity around the truth in our adoration and worship of Jesus Christ. That is the testimony the world needs to see. That is the only kind of testimony that changes lives. And it is rooted in the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just want to highlight Ephesians 2 where Paul talks about this. Again, Paul talks about Jews and Gentiles getting along in the church and the foundation of it, the reality of it, and the only way it can work is through Jesus Christ and His work, His death, His resurrection, His ascension on high as high priest through the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can bring that kind of unity. Uh, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 13, he's talking primarily to Jewish people, to Greek people. So if you're not Jewish today, this is to you. This is to me, this message. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly afar off, we weren't part of the Old Testament Israelite covenant relationship with God. We were far off. We were not one of God's people. You were formerly far off, but now you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Notice it's not our blood that matters. It's the blood of Christ that matters. His death that matters. For He Himself, Jesus, is our peace. See, you want true peace between humanity and between the races? It comes through Jesus Christ and His work. 
So look at that. Blood, peace, relational peace. It only comes in Christ, verse 14, who made both groups, ethnic groups, Jews and non-Jews. It is His work. It is His doing. He's the one that made both groups one into one body, one new man, one new humanity called the church, the body of Christ. Jesus broke down the barrier, the dividing wall through his death and resurrection by abolishing in his flesh on the cross the enmity, the hatred, which is the law of commandments contained in in ordinances that in himself he might make the two Jew and non-Jew into one new humanity. Isn't that wonderful? One new humanity. That's who we are. That is our race. What is your race? My race is the body of Christ. One new humanity, thus establishing peace. There's true peace, and only there is true peace between humanity. It's in the body of Christ, based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 16, And might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by having put it to death on the cross. Verse 16 or 17 says, And he came and he preached peace to you, the Gentiles, who were far away. And he also preached peace to the Jews. So there's one gospel for any race. doesn't matter who you are. It's the same gospel that saves all people. Verse 18, for through Jesus Christ, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. doesn't matter your skin color. You have the same Holy Spirit living in you if you are a Christian. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's Household, Isn't that awesome? If you are a Christian today, you are a citizen in the kingdom of God with all rights and privileges. You are a citizen, equal citizen. You are a saint before God. That means sinless before him. And you are a sibling in the family of God. Citizens, saints, and siblings, all in verse 19. All with equal rights and privileges because of the work of our blessed Jesus Christ. And then finally, I, want, I do want to close with uh, Revelation 7. Let's go ahead and look at it. Revelation 7, 9 and 10. We're not going to peacefully, totally coexist all the races in this lifetime, in this cursed, fallen, sinful world. And as long as we have sinners who are hard-hearted, continue to reject Jesus Christ and the gospel, there isn't going to be perfect peace and harmony. Uh, just like when Jesus said that poverty will continue to exist, racial prejudice will continue to exist. It will always be with us until the total redemption of humanity and and really all of history in the second coming of Jesus Christ in the future and during the millennium and beyond. And that's where uh, Revelation 7 takes us. A vision about the future of how it will be someday. And actually, it's even happening right now up in heaven before the throne of God. Uh, Revelation 7, verse 9. John the Apostle says this, After these things I looked, so this is up in heaven, and behold, there's a great multitude in heaven around the throne of God before Jesus Christ, before God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Huge, massive multitude of humanity from history and from the ages, which no one could count. There's too many to count. Well, who are they? Are they all Jews? No. From every nation, all tribes, all peoples, all tongues. There it is. All races before the one true God, worshiping as one family of God, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, palm branches, intent on one purpose, worshiping Almighty God, Savior Jesus Christ for. Ever. Verse 10, and their cry went out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. How glorious. One choir giving praise to God, all made possible by the life, the willful death of Jesus Christ on the cross, absorbing the wrath of God on behalf of sinners regardless of their race, rising again from the dead, ascending 
on high as the Savior of the world. That is what the Samaritan woman called Jesus, the Savior of the world, because she was not fully Jewish. And she knew that Jesus was the Savior for all humanity, despite regardless your race. And she embraced him as such, a beautiful phrase. Let's go ahead and commit our time and prayer and thanks to Jesus Christ, who is indeed the Savior of the world. Father, we do thank you for our time together in worship. Thank you for being with us as you promised to do in a very real way through your Holy Spirit. Again, thank you for the truth of your word in Scripture. How it's, it's always relevant. It always applies to every issue in life that confronts us. And we can lean on it and depend on it and, and live by it. Lord Jesus, thank you for your most precious gift of your perfect life of obedience, your willful death on behalf of sinners. Thank you so much for absorbing God's wrath as our substitute. Thank you for rising again from the dead and giving us hope and new life in you. And thank you for building the church. A mix of races of people from all nations, tribes, and tongues reflecting the creativity of you as a gracious God and Savior. We give you the glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.